Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, we'll have the latest on mask mandates in both New Jersey and New York. And we could either plateau here, or our cases could escalate beyond control. Remembering jazz legend Barry Harris, who died earlier this week at the age of 91. Every time you play a concert, you should play a monk. We'll find out why this year's Army-Navy game is even more special. I think probably most importantly, it's incredibly meaningful to have this game played just about 10 miles from the World Trade Center site during the 20th year of of, of 9-11. WBGO film critic Harlan Jacobson reviews West Side Story. Feeling pretty in a war zone is what West Side Story is all about. And we'll continue our tribute to WBGO announcer Michael Bourne, who's retiring in early January. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has put in a new mask mandate statewide because of the coronavirus concerns. WBGO's Scott Pringle has the latest. Governor Hochul says the state is seeing the same trend as last year, coronavirus cases and hospitalizations spiking during the holiday season. We're entering a time of uncertainty, and we could either plateau here or our cases could escalate beyond control. So Hochul is requiring masks to be worn at all indoor public places unless the business has a vaccine mandate in place. She says it's an added layer of mitigation during the holidays. This policy starts Monday and will be reevaluated mid-January. Hochul notes the coronavirus situation is worse upstate than in the New York City area. Scott Pringle, WBGO News. A federal judge this week upheld New Jersey's school mask mandate. WBGO's Kenneth Burns reports a group of parents had sought to end that requirement before schools open for the year. Governor Phil Murphy issued his executive order ahead of the current school year when the COVID variant of concern was Delta. It's still the dominant variant in the state, and officials are keeping an eye on Omicron. Free NJ Kids argued that forcing kids to wear masks in school violated their First Amendment rights because masks interfere with actual speech and facial expressions. Federal District Judge Kevin McNulty wrote that many people often have to repeat themselves or speak louder to be understood through a mask. However, he adds that students in masks are still free to talk and noted the other ways students can communicate. McNulty also noted the government's interest in keeping schools open while preventing the virus from spreading. Bruce Afrin, attorney for Free NJ Kids, was not surprised by the decision and plans to appeal. From the New Jersey desk, Kenneth Burns. NEA jazz master, composer, educator, and extraordinarily inventive pianist Barry Harris passed this week, just shy of his 92nd birthday. An indefatigable spirit in jazz, his life was a bright presence in the music past and present. In 2017, Barry Harris joined WBGO morning host Gary Walker and sat at the piano at the radio station to generously share a slice of what attracts all of us to the music in the first place. Well, you know what it is. People, when they play a classical recital, they play Bach, they play Beethoven, they play Chopin. So, you me, I play Charlie Parker, I play Bud Powell, and I play Monk. <laughs> I think every musician should play them, you know. It makes them pretty, too. I mean, I told, who did I tell that, Mahal, Mahal, Richard Abrams, I told him, I said, look, man, every time you play a concert, you should play a monk.
Jazz musicians don't play enough. Yeah. So each one of us should take lessons because that gives us that gives us something to do. So we have to, and it's with our instrument, and we have to do it. And so it's just going to make you get better on the instrument. Right, and the first time you play Lotus Blossom, it sure as heck ain't going to sound as pretty as it just did now, is oh, it? Oh, man. Well, this piano this piano's a pretty good piano. See? I think the cat sitting at it is pretty good, too. I think that has something to do with yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you'd be surprised the fun yeah. is finding the piano player that you... The piano. Yeah. Finding the piano. The... I could tell by just a touch. See, most people they they like to they like to go down to the bottom. What can you tell about this piano? Is it friendly piano? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But you got to be you got to be friendly with it though. Yeah. See. Oh, see, it's uh, it's pretty. It's pretty. For those of you listening at home right now, Steinway is I should know that. What it, what's that melody? Last time I saw Paris. That's what it is. The That's last time I saw Paris. That's pretty one. You're one of the only this people I know that saw Charlie Parker well, with strings, know, I'm, right? I'm probably, I'm probably one of the only ones that played with Bird. He let me sit in with him when I was about when I was a kid. Maybe I was 19. Maybe I don't even know if I was 19. Did he tell you anything? <laughs> He's just a beautiful person. Yeah, you know, you never believed that you know uh, that other side of him because he was really intelligent cat and speak well. We were lucky too because his band didn't show up one time on time, so we we all there. So we went up and played with him. So we played a whole maybe a few tunes with him. You know, and you were a teenager at the time. Oh yeah, we were like well maybe twenty. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know exactly when he came to the... And we watched him with strings. Oh, we were very lucky. Because if, if you ever saw Bird, you didn't you know... Oh, <laughs> I can't... Let's see, what can I say? You expect expect a lot. You know, see, there's there's like... When Bird came to the to the to the Forest Club, the roll the roller ring, the string set up and Bird came out. He he blew some on the horns, a little, little, little all over the horn. <laughs> it's really look like that. And then they started, and then you felt that chill 
start in your feet and go all through your body. That certainly was a special morning right here on WBGO. Barry Harris, dead at the age of 91. The annual Army-Navy game takes place later this afternoon at MetLife Stadium. USAA has been sponsoring the event since 2009, proudly serving millions of military members. Amish Vicaria is the EVP and Chief Strategy and Brand Officer at USAA. I had a chance to speak with him this week about this year's special venue. While Philly is certainly known as the traditional home, hosting of a game in a place like this in the greater New York, New Jersey area definitely allows for additional opportunities. From a business perspective, it allows us to host and engage with military community and fans who may not otherwise travel to Philly. But I think probably most importantly, it's incredibly meaningful to have this game played just about 10 miles from the World Trade Center site during the 20th year of of, of 9-11. When you think of 9-11, what comes into the mind of Amish Vicaria? So I actually was 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 working in Manhattan in one New York plaza that morning. Um, and personally, uh, along with some coworkers from the 50th floor of that building, uh, saw the second plane come barreling into to the South Tower. Uh, and that started a chain of events for me alongside with you know coworkers and friends who were scattered across Manhattan. That that definitely makes that that morning. Uh, one that I'll never forget uh, in terms of my personal experience, which was just a small piece in this, but more so uh, the way that it brought together the country uh, and the way that those who have chosen to serve to help protect us and to ensure something like that wouldn't happen again. Uh, it, it, it's a very special moment for me uh, and being able to, to have this game here uh, in recognition of that in the 20th year uh, is that much more important. Bringing the country together while we have maybe more of a division than ever before in this country, when we see the Army-Navy game, we don't see that, do we? We see a country that comes together and appreciates the service, the courage. I talked about it last year with Rocky Blyer, uh, how important this game is to the country. You know, it, it really is America's game and a day in which the country cheers on the next generation of military leaders. Um, and, and so for generations, families have come together to watch the great game. And in many, many families, participation in the event has been passed down. Uh, that camaraderie is fantastic to see. Uh, it's also just a really unique experience with all the cadets and midshipmen in attendance, the tradition that comes with that in the form of the march on, and even both academies singing one another's alma mater following the game. There really is nothing quite like it. Amish, what has changed for USAA since many of the troops have returned home from Afghanistan? You know, what hasn't changed is an unwavering commitment to help provide financial security to military families. And what, what, what does come through is that importance of military families, military caregivers, the connectivity from uh, financial stress and mental stress. Uh, and, and I think that broader support uh, is, is, a, is a really important piece that we're seeking to try and make sure both through the business and through our corporate responsibility and our partnerships, uh, ensure that we can just be uh, as supportive and providing service to those who, who've put on the uniform and have, have, have served us. You mentioned that you were there on 9-11, but how did Amish Vicaria get involved with USAA? So for, for me, 
the opportunity, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a first generation immigrant. Uh, both my parents grew up in India uh, and came here in pursuit of, uh, of opportunity, the quintessential American dream. Um, and uh, my brother and I ha have literally in our families and the extended families have, have benefited and, and been able to experience and, and, and live that American dream. And it's not lost on us that part of the reason we've been able to do that and create more financial security and opportunity for our families is based in part to the sacrifice of those brave men and women who are uh, putting on the uniform. And so the opportunity for me to come as a financial services professional and join USA to give back in, in this way uh, was a no-brainer uh, and just such a tremendous opportunity, especially as, as the company looks forward to our, our, our 100th birthday uh, next year. You just want to see, obviously, a great game. But what do you want people to think about and what do you want people to think about USAA's connection to the game as they watch this annual battle? You know, I think the biggest piece here is when we think about the ability to create more awareness and advocacy for this community, uh, an example, right? We've helped grow the game each year through Media Row. And I think Media Row here is now second in size only to the Super Bowl. And I think the greater awareness that more and more of the country can have for these these folks who are brave enough to put on the uniform, the next generation of our service members. I think that that's just really important for us not to forget and for us to connect in a way and also to appreciate the uh, the pageantry and the tradition that lives on. This really is uh, this really is America's game. It certainly is. And it doesn't matter what the records are. That's what's also special about this game. The, the game always seems to be uh, entertaining, close and filled with pride and dignity and uh, so we expect uh, another one. Anything else you'd like to add, Amish? No, just incredibly appreciative for, of the opportunity to, to chat with you today. Um, and again, uh, couldn't be more proud of USAA's uh, presence in supporting uh, the military community here and, and just look forward to a, ter to a terrific weekend uh, with uh, those in attendance, those playing, those coming on to cheer on, and more importantly, those who will move on after this to become that those next generation of leaders uh, in protecting our country. Amish Vicario, the EVP, Chief Strategy and Brand Officer at USAA. Thanks again. Thank you, Doug. You can watch the Army-Navy game on CBS at 3 o'clock. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story was calendared to open over a year ago, as was Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. The two productions had filmed simultaneously all over the metro area, often within blocks of each other like two rival gangs fighting over the same turf. Then life, known as COVID-19, happened and pushed both openings to this year. Our film critic Harlan Jacobson says this new West Side Story wins the rumble. Remaking West Side Story belongs roughly in the same category of risk-taking as rebuilding the Taj Mahal, the world's greatest monument to love. And we know how that turned out in that quintessentially American venture of Las Vegas. Steven Spielberg hasn't just remade the greatest musical testament to love in the second half of the 20th century. He's made a new, thrilling one that hangs for relevance in the early days of the 21st century on the amended story by Tony Kushner, his previous collaborator on the plotting Munich and the intellectually livelier Lincoln. The camera and the audio simply adore the new doomed Romeo and Juliet, Tony and Maria, 
Ansel Elgort and Rachel Zegler, maybe even more than Robert Wise's 1961 film adored Richard Boehmer and Natalie Wood. David Alvarez brings an authority and credibility to Bernardo, Maria's brother and head shark, that the beloved but career-stymied George Shakiris never approached. And Ariana DeBose's Anita, memorably Rita Marino in the original, delivers both fire in the American number and ice, a boy like that, to spare. It's Marino, not Maria, who now sings somewhere as the doleful priestess of Can't We All Just Get Along? Every frame of this West Side story, every Jerome Robbins dance step athleticized by choreographer Justin Peck as kids with Icarus-like wings taking them out of the rubble into a sky they don't have overhead, every neighborhood location in Newark and bombed-out Patterson, New Jersey, as well as the city up to the cloisters to limb the transcendent holiness of love, every one of them is mesmerizing. Consider what the original Broadway play accomplished in 1957. The surface was its throwback to Shakespeare's Doomed Young Lovers, with book by Arthur Lorenz, whose idea it was to take it to Broadway. A surpassingly beautiful score by Leonard Bernstein, then in his prime, a kinetic jazz choreography by Jerome Robbins from the mid-century modernism of the post-war 50s, and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, a 27-year-old kid who died last month, is the most adored lyricist of all time at 91. That West Side Story was the most prominent fusion of the civil rights era to the Broadway musical, a pop classical art form about to lose its currency. It's tempting to say it had never been done, but the 2015 revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's 1949 South Pacific at the Vivian Beaumont sliced through the ballet high romanticism of every high school production across the land to reveal the 1949 original's anti-Asian racist critique of the war era. West Side Story, eight years later, was the apotheosis of breakthrough progressive social politics, grafted onto that old lady Broadway and then four years later into Robert Wise's 1961 film adaptation that played like a musical more than a film. An adaptation that I still love to this day. Spielberg, however, starts in his genes as a master filmmaker, and his West Side Story is a better film. It, too, gives me goosebumps. But to what end, you rightly ask? One trembles at what the cultural appropriation guardians will do with this West Side Story. While Kushner's story contemporizes, it lacks the sheer history-making audacity of the original. Well, how could it do that? It does deliver a social politics update to Spielberg in the following ways. The Sharks, as much has been written about, are played by Latinos, not whites in mocha makeup. There's a small percentage of dialogue in Spanish without subtitles. Kushner wrote a part for Rita Marino here as the Hispanic widow of Gringo Doc, the late proprietor of Doc's drugstore and mother protector of Tony. What's forever? Like, I want to be with you forever. You don't want to start maybe with, I'd like to take you out to coffee? No. Come on, I want to take you to a shop full of nuts for a cream cheese sandwich on a raisin bread. This ain't casual like that. Oh. I want to be with you forever. You're a star con 
contigo para siempre. Quiero estar con... con, con contigo, with you, contigo. para siempre. 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 The character of anybody's has been re-engineered from butch to gender fluid. Very au courant that. Corey Stoll's Lieutenant Shrank is openly white sympathetic as a cop to Riff. Played as a twitchy downed power line by Mike Faced. Way hotter in temperature than Russ Tamlin in 61. He offers a moment of real politic to Riff. You're the last of the can't-make-it Caucasians. By the time you get out of jail, Riff, this is going to be full of shiny new apartments for rich people with Puerto Rican doormen to evict white trash like you. Ouch. Even Tony makes a case for Riff being invisible, which completes the circle of current politics from minority identity to Trump voter empathy. Bravo, I think. Whatever the imagined turf battles between the white jets and the tan sharks, this West Side story drops the gentrification bomb on both of them. Urban renewal as eminent domain theft. The Robert Moses-ization of the West Side in particular is how the film begins by craning down from the sky to land on a bulldozed construction site billboard of the future Lincoln Center, where, with some intended irony, the film held its premiere Monday night. The stunning production and art design tilts a tad too much toward the firebombing of Dresden as a crane cam swings down on the shell of a building on a steaming pile of rubble beneath wrecking balls seemingly everywhere. And cinematographer Janusz Kaminski, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan's technicolor saturations are positively at the level of an addiction to heroin lollipops. Still, I was hooked. How gorgeous is this slum brigadoon? Sondheim told funny stories to NPR's Terry Gross, one about how he'd wanted to drop the F-bomb as the finale of the Jets' hilarious G-Officer Krupke number in 1957, but got sidelined by the money lady, who could live with the substitute, G-Officer Krupke, Krupp you, which I happen to like better. Famously, Sondheim hand-wrung over the writing of the lyrics for Puerto Ricans, most especially I Feel Pretty for Maria, which he thought didn't match her circumstances so much as charmed a white Broadway audience. Rachel Zegler's Maria sings it here in a new sequence on the night shift of a cleaning ladies at Gimbel's, not knowing what has happened to Tony and Bernardo. It is as moving as the day it was written. Love makes us all feel pretty. Youth makes us all feel pretty. It's what takes us off the fire escape and over the rainbow. Feeling pretty in a war zone is what West Side Story is all about. I love this West Side Story, and you can answer the question of why now for yourself. And I'm Harlan Jacobson. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you on the world went away Tonight, tonight There's only you tonight What do you want? What do you do? What do you say? Today, all day I had the feeling A miracle would happen I know now I was right 
just a world, there's a star tonight. We're paying tribute all month long here on the WBGO Journal to the retiring legendary announcer Michael Bourne, who's been writing Broadway reviews for more than 50 years and more than 20 has been a contributor to the WBGO Journal. In 2019, he had a fun time looking back and forward in this review. I've been scribbling theater reviews for 50 years. I don't know how many, and I can't remember even all of the best shows I've attended, thousands of shows. I remember mostly moments and performers through the years, and here's what's been memorable for me this season on and off Broadway. My favorite all-around show of the season Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. You don't have to know a word of Yiddish to feel the heart, the love, the sorrow, the soul of Anna Tevka. And Stephen Skybell is the most lovable of all the umpteen Tevyas I've enjoyed. This season's most charming show, My Life on a Diet. Renee Taylor at 86 and with a busted foot, sitting and with photos and videos, remembering her wacky life in showbiz, especially with her beloved Joe Bologna. My favorite laughs of the season, I can't repeat. In my favorite of the new musicals, Alex Brightman as the demon Beelzebub says something profanely angry and perfectly timed about a musical I also don't like. You had to be there. David Yazbek is the best Broadway songwriter since Sondheim, says me. His show, The Band's Visit, won last year's Tony. His show, Tootsie, is up for this year's Tony. I also can't quote my favorite funny song of the season, Yazbek's song of the actor's roommate cursing his mistakes. Andy Grovelution as the roommate and Sarah Stiles as the actor's ex were my favorite suddenly romantic couple. The season's even odder couple, Carrie Russell with Adam Driver in the revival of Lanford Wilson's Burn This. She's petite, like a fragile doll. He's a horse that they became lovers seems physically absurd, but apparently as a horse, he's a stallion. This season's best villain is played by Tracy Letts in the revival of Arthur Miller's All My Sons, he's playing a manufacturer who's gotten away with knowingly selling defective airplane parts to the Air Force in World War II, and pilots died, including his own son. Tracy Letts plays someone who's repressed the pain of his profound guilt so deeply until, as if one of the tragic heroes of the Greeks, the truth finally falls upon and destroys him. And... uh, especially flabbergasting and loud, is the puppet of King Kong, jaw-droppingly fascinating, manipulated by the puppeteers, the ape falls in love and stumps New York spectacularly. I remember none of the show's songs and dances, but the ape is unforgettable, and I expect King Kong will steal the show at the Tony Awards. I'm Michael Bourne. No one can review Broadway any better than WBGO's Michael Bourne, who is retiring in early January. We wish him the best.
Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 6.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. Portraits in Blue is up next on WBGO and WBGO.org.